Ephesians chapter 4. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. One of the churches he started is actually a letter he wrote while he was in prison. Um, he was in prison for his faith in his time. It was something that we don't um, think about a whole lot, that our faith and what we believe and living counterculture to the dominant religion of that, of that, of that day, um, you know, he got himself into some trouble. And so he's, he's in prison for what he himself called the chains. He was in chains for the chains for the gospel, like something he deeply believed in so deeply that he was willing to go to prison for multiple times. And he wrote this letter to encourage uh, church at Ephesus um, to keep going and not just to keep going. Um, it's funny, if anybody has the right to say, hey, keep your joy, keep all this, you know, keep it what it's about. It's a guy who's sitting in prison who's there because of it, you know, for that message. And so this letter is to them, and this one part in Ephesians chapter 4 is one of my uh, favorite parts of, of this letter. And it's interesting because today I want to look at the parts that I usually don't teach. Not that I don't teach it, it's just there's a section of Ephesians 4 that is my absolute favorite. It talks about all of us using our giftings to come together and be this body that moves towards unity. Um, that's real specific, and we're all really easy to figure out, okay, that's a list I could follow or a checkbox I could check. And so I'm not going to teach on that part. Right now I just want to talk, teach on the heart that frames that message. So I'm going to read the first part of 4, and then I'm going to jump to the last part of 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You were taught with regard and to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its own deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and, and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I think this is an image of true biblical community. As a pastor, many times we, we want to talk about what community looked like in, in the early church, the first century church. And we like to go back to Acts 2.42 and talk about all the things that we do. You know, how often we meet together, where we meet together, what we do when we meet together, and all of this stuff. Which is true. They did. There was something that was going on there. It was a rhythm of life that they had for, 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 for that time. Um, 
But this scripture shares a little something more. And, and I just wonder, we talk about the kingdom a lot at Austin New Church. We talk about this idea of, of the kingdom that Jesus ushered in, um, that he brought to earth this, this thing that breaks through when we choose his ways over our ways, that then he begins to rule, begins to reign in our life, and he begins to rule and begins to reign in our church. And then he, he uses then the church to... to um, spread this message that he, his ways might reign and rule in his, all of his creation. And it just seems like if the kingdom were to manifest it here on earth, it is in heaven, that this is somehow what it would look like. All of these, these postures, that it's, it's, it's about identifying our angst and our frustrations and to see where those things come from and how it impacts one another. And not to ignore those things, but then to look at those things as an opportunity to build, actually build one another up and sharpen one another. To, to learn to be kind and compassionate and to be forgiving. Here's the question. If we live like that, I mean, we're fully committed to that kind of living. What would happen? What would happen to insecurity? What would happen to judgment? What would happen to the desire or the, um, the bent to feel like we have to posture around one another? Like we're doing better than we are? Like we know more than we know? Like we're more spiritual than we come across? Um, what would happen to pride and to selfishness and even to defensiveness, non-rhetorical? What would happen? If we live like that, what would happen to those things? Anybody? It would lose their power, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it seem like that would, it would just expose how differently those things are to the things of the kingdom? Wouldn't it lose its power? It would lose maybe its hold, its stronghold on us. I almost wonder if it would not exist anymore, eventually. If this way of living and this way of loving one another and extending dignity to one another... And figuring out whatever it is, whether it's something we physically have or something we emotionally feel or something spiritually we hear that we steward it in such a way that we're hoping that it changes us and we look at it differently, that we might see others differently and then extend that to them. I think insecurity would be, would start spiraling down. I think those who go, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing spiritually. I just, I need to be around an environment where I can, I think that would become the type of environment someone could really grow in. Um, last week, we talked about this idea of biblical community and f- as, as a family. And um, we, we put it in this, we use the word that is our desire to be as a church is a place where people can just belong, where they, where they belong first. And I think that what happens is, is when we live this, when we fight for this, now we all, we're all, we, we, we're terrible, right? Well, I mean, we, we're not good at all this stuff. This is really hard. That's really hard to do this, right? I know it. I, it's hard. It's so hard to do all this. But if we were to, we would at least say, this is what we're about and we're going to fight for it. At least then when we can come to each other and say, hey, remember that thing we said we were going to fight for? That's not happening right now. And at least then we could go, oh, yeah. Right? 
and move forward. I think what happens is, is that intuitively or, or naturally, organically, the church would become a place where people just sense this belonging. Where they can be there and discover uh, God. Where they could just be there and see the things of the kingdom happening. Um, I think that we fight so hard for something that we see, and yet rarely Jesus gave us this. This is exactly what it'll look like when you get there. He just gives us this thing that if you do these things in your life, that will be the end result. And so um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dialogue. Um, Jen was a part of a conference this weekend here in Austin called If, the If Gathering, which is a huge conference of women. Yes, it was. How many of you guys, were anybody able to go or be? Yeah, a lot of you. You know what's going on. Um, I watched it through Twitter. Um, I was actually there Friday night, was able to serve communion. And some of my favorite uh, teachers, Bible teachers, were there. It was just amazing to see these women. Just unbelievable, some of the things that they, they taught. Um, Christine Kane, if you don't know who she is, you need to, you need to, get, uh, you need to learn her, who she is. Um, Google her. Um, she said this. She said, many, us, many of us live delivered but not free. She said, the wilderness is not the promised land. And she was talking about Israel when they, after the Exodus, and they, they were freed from slavery, and they were moving towards the promised land that God had promised them. But Scripture says it was supposed to take 11 days, and instead it took 40 years. So they were delivered, but they were not free. They were still living in this amazing bondage. And I can't help but when I, I do that, I go... That's me. And that's not what God wants for your life. I think Jen talked about me crying too much yesterday on stage. (laughs) I'm faking it. I just want you to cry. That's funny. (laughs) I think this is part of it. I think if we're really to be a community of faith where people can belong, I don't care if they're a pastor or a non-believer, someone just, whoever, all along the spectrum, I think that in order for us to move towards freedom, we, can I make a gross overstatement that's so simple? We just have to somehow decide and commit to the ways of Christ. Just somehow, we got to actually agree together and say, why don't we just be about this? Why don't we look at the things and go, okay, yeah, that's petty. How do we move forward? How do we encourage? How do we lift one another up? So these first three weeks of being here at Bailey, and uh, just we've been through so many transitions over the last several uh, uh, months, we have decided just to kind of come back, spend three days, or three weeks, three days, teaching on what we just truly believe that if we were to each put in our hearts, maybe consider it something that the church at large, knowing that we are the church, can be, can be or should be, um, or attitudes that we have, or freedoms that we want to offer, or pursuits that we want to have. We, 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 we put them into three words. The first one is just book to a place where you can belong. And we spoke, we talked about that last week. You could do six weeks on that, but you get it. That's what we want to be, a place that is inclusive. An inclusive community where you're not blackballed just because you don't think like I think or do what I do. And I'm talking about even within 
religion, even within different denominations and things like that. There are certain things Paul talked about, even among the religious, that we should just agree to disagree on and not allow it to divide the kingdom. But especially with those who maybe don't agree or believe what we believe. I've honestly, no one believed in Jesus before he came there and lived among us. Right? Um, First, to be a place of belonging. The second, to be a place of learning. And typically in church, what we do is we go, okay, so let's do a bunch of Bible studies and training unions and let's everybody learn the scripture, memorize them. And what's your memory verse this week? And, and we move on. And I think I mentioned last week, Shane Claiborne's thought about somewhere along the way, we, we stopped living the gospel and settled for studying the gospel. Where instead we're constantly learning in, in every aspect of our lives and then serving. And we'll talk about serving next week. And as we serve others as well as serve within uh, the body. And today specifically about this idea of learning and becoming learners again. I think on, on my journey as a pastor, the, the, I think the thing that impacted me the very most is when I finally gave myself permission to lo- no longer pretend like I knew everything for whatever congregation I was with. To where I can just finally go, okay, I'm learning. I'm, I'm here. There you are. Where are you? You're there, right? I'm here. I'm not somewhere else. And I am constantly trying to learn. I'm trying, constantly trying to grow. Okay? And so, speaking on, specifically on learning Jesus, one of my favorite scriptures, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If we were to look at the church today, the one thing Jesus, two things Jesus said there. He wants mercy over sacrifice, and he's, called, he's, he's come to call the sinners, not righteous, are kind of the two things we would typically go the other direction on. If you were to look at and evaluate our lives the way we do church and things like that, we would typically think an outsider would look in and think, your Jesus came for sacrifice and righteous people. And yeah, that's exactly the opposite of what he said, right? And so I think maybe the learning that we can do or should do is not just what he said, but why he said it. And not just what are the things we have to do, but how do we do them? And to pray that God begins to change us and transforms the way we see things so that it will then change the way we see others and that it will transform the way we see ourselves. Because then, when he changes the way we see ourselves, and we see ourselves through the lens in which he sees us, and we learn to trust that, then our insecurities can begin to go away. And then we can find our identity in him instead of our, our, our stuff or what other people think of us or what someone else did to us. We can really find our identity in him. And then ultimately called to see how that impacts uh, one another's. But in order to do this, to be a place and to be people that, who are learners, um, we have to extend something. We need to think about uh, something. So if you have your outline, just a couple things I think we need uh, to consider. And the first is just simply a new kind of journey. It's a new kind of journey. And, and, and those of you who have been around, you've heard this part. This is nothing earth-shattering or new to Austin New Church. We talk about this in our partner class. But I want to remind you about this as I remind myself because we have to, this has to be the lens in which we've, we consider what we do. 
Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so I graduated from Oklahoma Baptist University. It's a small private university. Uh, I think 4,000 or so students now. Um, 20 years ago, nearly, 19 years ago. And when I was there, the first couple of years at OBU, I was wheels off. I mean, I went into OBU with, one, with two desires, to try and play basketball and try and chase girls. I mean, that was it. I caught one. <laughs> um, I had just gone through some really tragic stuff in my life. I was off. I was off bad. I grew up kind of in church. My dad uh, is not a believer. My mom, I think, was, uh, is an amazing woman of prayer, but she always you know, brought us to church every Sunday, morning, night, Wednesday, uh, the whole uh, shebang. But I came in to OBU, and um, I rem- this, this, this deep Christian subculture university. And it's easy to stereotype, but it, even, and, it, and they're not fair. But as I came into this place, whether anybody else gave me this or not, my perception was as I was an outsider and I had to pretend to be something I wasn't in order to fit in in this culture. And um, it was a really, really interesting environment for me. Um, it was really easy at a Christian university to assume that everyone there is a Christian, that everyone there is a growing Christian, and that everyone there even has a Bible, you know? And... Um, it was just a unique environment where I, I almost completely changed everything about myself to try and fit that environment. Whether it was the clothes that I wore uh, or the, the things that I did or the music that I listened to, you know. I, in, in two years, I bought, I, I, I burned and rebought Motley Crue, Metallica, you know, all these, I, all these tapes, I, I threw them away. I'm like, oh, you're the devil. And then I go buy them again a couple weeks later. And I throw them away again. You know, I just constantly, Michael W. Smith, oh, you're so great. Well, it just wasn't, it just, it just wasn't good. It wasn't good music. But I think Jen and I went maybe... One year back to homecoming. I get on a plane today to fly back to Oklahoma. And I speak at their chapel all week in front of thousands of students. I'm on stage. The guy that, I've got stories I can't even tell them. I'm like, if I tell these stories, they're never going to recover from what happens. I'm so nervous. But it made me think about that culture where, whether it's true or not, there was a culture of a church that I grew up in, and not, not my specific church, because my church actually did a pretty good j- job, the one that I grew up in. But there was a culture of this thought, this expectation, where the number one thing you got to do in order to fit in is behave. There's a certain code of living that you have to live by. And if you don't, you're out. And we don't, we don't intentionally, sometimes we do, but we don't intentionally try to put that off. But that's what is perceived so many times. That first thing is, hey, you behave and you could be a part of our club. You could be a part of our thing. You act the way I want you to act. Don't question what I believe. Don't even stretch it. Especially if I don't know what I'm talking about. Because then I'm really going to get defensive. Right? But you have to behave first. And then our hope is once you behave that you might actually believe. Um, 
But the perception is not just that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but that he renews us and takes us in as sinners and, and just loves us regardless. Um, but you have to believe what I believe, right? And then the next step is that then, then you belong with us. And this is something, whether it's deserved or not, or fair or not, this is, the, this is what people who do not find hope or joy or anything in the church, it's what they're, this is what they think. That I, and, and maybe they can't even say that, but it's that i got to act right, sit right, wear the right clothes, do the right things, and, and then I've got to believe what you believe. Not another church or another thing, but just what you believe because you're the only right person. And then I'm, I could be a part of the club. And there has to be a new kind of journey where instead of that journey, the first part is that there is a place where I know that in this thing called the Christian church, that no matter who I am and what I've done and where I am, there's a place for me. That I belong first, not belong last. That I belong first with the hopes in this journey that I might believe. That I might come to an understanding and trusting that if I'm in, a, in some type of a community, that I could trust that God is big enough to speak into my life and to, and to see this thing that Jesus taught, this new posture and way of living, that I might believe uh, in what God is doing and trust him with that. Um, but not then so that I could behave, but then so that I can become. That's the word I want to change. That's the word I wish we could just embrace. That we could become, that every one of us are becoming what God desires for us to be. See, because the moment we think we've arrived is the moment it's, we start going downhill. I, I think in our spiritual journey, one of the, I, I realize that you just never hold, you know? You never just coast. You're either growing or you're just, you're distancing yourself. It's this weird thing, but we are, to, to acknowledge that we're becoming the, the newest of, of of uh, seeking people, they're, they're becoming something. They're on this journey that they haven't arrived and they don't get to look at you or me and go, one day I'll be like that guy. You know, that's not, you know, that's, that's not it because they can look at us and go, wow, they're becoming too. And we get to be in this journey together, right? We're all learners. To become means we're constant learners. For those of you who are anal and need to fill out the blank. What are we becoming? Um, I'm going to do this out of, out of order because I just want to talk about this now. Also, I think it was Ann Voskamp speaking Friday night at IF who said, um, thinking about our own journey and our things, she said this. She said, don't be afraid of your wrong things. She said, be afraid of your good things. Those are the things most full of pride and self-righteousness. In what ways is that statement true? Share, let's share. What ways, when you go, oh yeah, what, what, in what way does that hit you as truth? Yeah, because you start taking credit for what God is doing. Or that maybe you've arrived. And what else? It brings judgment. What's that? Starts to define you, find your identity in those things. What else? Hmm? Boastful. All the things that are opposite to what Paul taught in his letter to the Ephesian church, isn't it? All of these things. Becoming. 
means we're constant learners again. Becoming requires two things. It, beca- it requires a lot of, lot of things. I want to I give two things, and, um, and then we'll, we'll close. The first one is just simply a new perspective. Just a new perspective maybe on what spiritual growth means. And for those of you who grew up in church, the idea of discipleship, what does that mean? Okay, it's a new perspective on, um, on what that is. I think one perspective is celebrating and valuing the journey beyond the arrival. Almost everything that we do as a church, when we have this expectation of where we're going to end at the end, and we don't get there, we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. <laughs> I don't care if you're serving in the, with the homeless community or trying to have this ideal uh, community group. If we say this is what it's got to be when, we're, when we know we've arrived, then our, our eyes are so fixed upon that thing that we miss the journey getting there. And we miss that moment every day. We miss today, right? Um, and I think what that does is it sabotages the kingdom. Because the kingdom is not a ladder that we climb and all of a sudden we get to the top of it and Jesus, we, the kingdom breaks through. The kingdom is more like a realm that the kingdom breaks through just equally as when someone for the first time kneels and prays and asks God to move in his life. As it does when an orphan finds a home. The kingdom breaks through when someone for the first time opens a Bible and says, God, I really want to know your truth. As it does after 40 years of you going to church every Sunday. The kingdom breaks through because it's, in a, it's, it's a realm and it celebrates that it can break through for anyone at any moment at any time along the way today. And we have the opportunity constantly to choose kingdom moments over self moments. But it requires a new perspective, a new way of thinking about these moments are a part of us becoming who Christ has called us to become. And so knowing that those are kingdom moments allows us to embrace his grace more as much as it does his truth. A new perspective. Um, they were reading Psalms this week, uh, the conference, and two that stood out to me on Friday night. One was from Psalm 88. It said, Lord, you are God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. My prayer come, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. Psalm 13, look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. What do each of those two psalms have in common? Humility. Here's a a posture that the psalmist has taken, recognizing, and I believe these are psalms of King David. A powerful position, has every right to have pride and hoard it over people and think he's better than everyone else. And he's in this place where he just recognizes no matter what earthly thing he has, that it's, it's God. It's, he takes a humble posture with God. So not only a, does it require a, a 
a new perspective, but finally a new posture. I think it starts there. I think learning starts with a new posture. I think it starts with, I think it goes into three relationships at least. First, it starts with our relationship with God. Wherever we are, I don't care what issue it is, whether it's relational, financial, whatever. The moment we take a humble posture with God instead of going, God, why are you doing this? Versus, you know, God, you know, help me see it. That's a game changer. I promise you, that is a game changer. Our posture specifically with God. In fact, Matthew 5, when Jesus is talking about the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude, he says, blessed is a man. And he talks about, essentially, who recognizes his spiritual poverty. A man who is poor in spirit. The first posture, new posture, is a posture before God of humility. The next one is a posture of humility between one another. Of this, somehow, this mutual submission and a desire to offer dignity to that other person instead of figuring out how we tear them down or prove ourselves right. And then I think what happens is, is when we do that, God gives us a new lens to then turn and look at ourselves and to see ourselves um, differently. So let's loop back to the scripture I read, jump ahead. As prisoners for the Lord in Ephesians 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. In that scripture, I hear four things it's telling us to do. First of all, consider your life. For a moment, when things are going on, pull back and go, God, where am I with you? Where am I really with what you really say? Not with what I've projected. Second is to be humble. It says be completely humble and gentle, patient. And then it says bearing with one another in love. The third thing is to be a champion for others. Not just to tolerate, but to be a champion and want the best for them. And to try and think about what is my place in making them better. And the last one, it says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, to be a peacemaker. Not the one who always stirs up trouble. You can stir up some trouble if your desire is to lead towards peace and unity and to champion other people and to fight for justice, okay? And what I realize is these things are just super really hard. I think these things, these pursuit. Because honestly, um, most of these, I really wonder if it's ever, like my life is going to be defined by a lot of this. I want it to. I could talk about it. And it just overwhelms me to think about how far I am in many ways. But we're constantly given the permission to learn, to go and learn. To be faithful with what Jesus told us to do was simply to become. And to say, let me embrace this journey and to become And stop thinking that God expects me to be where I'm not. Because he takes us there. He's told us throughout scriptures it's his job. What do I write down here? Maybe I'll just read it to you. I just wrote this down as a note. Do we allow the gospel to speak into our lives a new way of living among one another in a way that we are ever learning and being transformed? Or is it the same old... Same old, new place, new church, new community group, new neighborhood, 
same old, same old. You know how Albert Einstein defined the word insanity? He said, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's insanity. 